Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast that we enjoy listening to more than our parents do. Sad, but true. Marty, how are you? Good, thanks, Sam. Excellent. Just the two of us today. Marty is over in Perth. I'm in Tassie. Father Dave is up in Darwin. Now, Father Dave actually could be here, but we've just decided that we enjoyed the interviews we did with Heather Sweeney and Nicola McDermott uh, at the end of last year that we would do a couple of more interviews. And Marty had the, the great idea of interviewing the one and the only Mario Borg. Mario, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Sam. And thanks for having me along. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, I met Mario back in, I might have met you before this, but we probably got to know each other back in 2008. I had just finished the walk around the world. And when I got home, I needed a job. And it just so happened that Youth Mission Team Australia, who I had worked with for a number of years in ministry prior to the walk around the world, were in need of a, a new manager. It was halfway through the year and I, I took the job and flew across to Perth after two weeks break after the walk around the world and had quite an amazing re-entry. It was the best re-entry you can imagine after all the ups and downs of the walk around the world. I was wondering how I was going to re-enter back into Australian society and it was a beautiful blessing to be able to head over to Perth to the Disciples of Jesus Covenant community, to youth mission team and to be involved in a ministry that's quite full on to say the least yeah. of what's happening over there so um in terms of introducing mario still we were having a chat about a week ago um and i was trying to you might remember i was trying to encourage you to listen to an episode now this great idea you could be an episode then at least you'll listen to this one <laughs> very true <laughs> right nice okay so i'm just going to launch out here right you tell me if i get the details wrong but um you're a director of a the, cat, the only Catholic Bible college in Australia? Yeah, no, I can't maybe. make claim for that. Okay. Um, if I do that, then my wife will divorce me. So she's actually the principal of Acts 2 College of Mission and Evangelization. Yes. Better known as the Catholic Bible College. So I am just one of the senior lecturers there. So. Oh, right. I thought you were on the board. Anyway, that's fine. But it yeah. is Australia's only Catholic Bible college? Well, well nationally accredited Catholic Bible college. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well done. And <laughs> and you're the Thank youth you. you're the youth group kingpin. Well, yeah. I've been trying to think how to put that. I think that's the most accurate title. You should put that on your business card. <laughs> yes. Yes. Kingpin. <laughs> when I moved uh, to Perth in 2008, Mario, there was a youth group called 24/7 and yep. there was one. How many Correct. youth groups do you have now? Uh, 24-7 now runs 13 youth groups in conjunction with about 16 parishes here in the Diocese of Perth. Kingpin. Kingpin. Yeah. Yes. That's huge because most... That is huge. We'll get onto this a little bit later on, but most dioceses, it is a struggle for the most part to get youth groups up and running. Yeah. So to have that many under one model is substantial. And if you were to throw into the mix that we actually employ our youth ministers to run um, those youth groups, and we employ two youth ministers per youth group, male and female, it is quite a unique model where God has somehow done something quite remarkable over the last uh, probably seven or eight years. So remarkable it's in that non-Catholic. Well, <laughs> God, I'm 
would say I would say it's very Catholic in the idea that the mission of the church is to to go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, and that includes Perth. So, <laughs> um, oh, man. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Uh, and in the midst of all of that, you know, guys, that even more so, God's done something remarkable in the, in the fact that those youth ministers also operate school retreats, both in primary school and in the lower ends of high school, in Catholic colleges. And just like I, I keep shaking my head about this, but just over the next two terms, term three and four, in this COVID-19 world, um, we're looking at 120 retreats between now and the end of the school year that we're that we're running oh, and wow. it can only be possible because of the numbers of youth ministers that are engaged in the life of youth ministry and also the the blessing of having the the catholic bible college because it's where our students do their prac work through that school retreat program so it is actually quite remarkable and i, I have to scratch my head every day and i have to fall on my knees every day in prayer because it's quite an extraordinary thing that god's doing that is yeah. the very thing, though, that comes to mind when I think of the ministry of 24-7, is that whilst there is undoubtedly some form of formula for what you do, if anything, what comes to mind is not the formula, but the way of life that uh, surrounds it and the fact that you are, and, and everyone involved, as, as I guess by the grace of God, as much as they can, is trying to live what they are preaching. And it's coming out of that, that lived experience of the gospel not simply a formula of how to run a youth group no and i think i think you've actually hit the nail on the head because pope francis talks a lot to young people about making sure that they are being accompanied on the journey of faith and, and all of the stuff that we do in youth ministry just wouldn't i think just wouldn't have any um, sustainability to it if we didn't have you know a core group of people who were invested in caring for, pastoring, offering expertise that we have in the life of the disciples of Jesus community. And in saying that, in the life of the, the parishes that we work with so closely, that there are people who are really interested and want to invest in the leadership of those youth groups, you know, the, the youth ministers and, um, and their, their leadership teams around them. So we're really blessed. I just don't think that we can do youth ministry in Australia if we don't understand the model of accompaniment. And uh, without it, we're, we're impoverished because we're talking about young people, peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, relationship building and evangelising requires a bit of maturity, a lot of maturity, I've got to say. And because we're working with young adults who run these youth groups, if you go to any of our youth groups, Sam, you're not going to see a, a single parent anywhere in in the vicinity of those youth groups apart from dropping their kids off and picking them up just as marty does when uh, he drops off you know his kids and and then waves right. them goodbye and then and run <laughs> yes right so but it it means then that these young adults have to take full care and with all duty of care responsibility to do that but that's one thing but we're talking about Catholic youth groups. That means that these that we take on a responsibility of forming teenagers in what the church teaches us mm. about life, tradition, creed, 
um, doctrine, you know, and most people just can't believe that a 19 or a 20 year old, maybe even younger sometimes, uh, has the confidence to be able to, to embark on that journey of sharing faith in that way. So without the accompaniment and the mentorship and the uh, investment of faithful adults, that just doesn't happen. So, yeah. so we're really blessed. Mara, can you hold that thought for just a moment? And we will come back to yeah. that specifically because I want to make a little bit of a divergence here back to when you were that age. Ah. Because there's now Marty termed something the other day to me over the phone that I really liked that instead of asking someone, how did you come to know Jesus? Marty said, do you remember Marty, what your take on it was? How did Jesus find you, Mario? <laughs> um, well, look, I think there are two ways that Jesus found me. One was because I was born into a Maltese family. So for all those who know Father Rob Galea, we're of the same breed. Um, uh, <laughs> Maltesers. Maltesers, that's right. That came, and, up, that came up the other night, actually, last night, when I told my kids we, we were interviewing for Sons of Thunder tomorrow, someone, and Gabe said, Father Rob Galea. I said, no, someone else that's Maltese. And they, had, and they drew blanks. And then, yeah. and then I said, Mario. And my little one said, Mario from the Wii? I said, no. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard if that. I had a dog. Marty, you can be Luigi. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so I think Jesus found me because I was born into a Maltese family and Malta being very Catholic meant that at some point I was going to find Jesus somewhere along the line. Went to a good old Catholic primary school and good old Catholic high school here in Perth. And when I turned 18, I just wanted to do everything I could not to go to Mass on a Sunday, except my mother said to me, Mario, you live in this house, you go to Mass. You don't go to mass. You don't live in this house, so that kept me staying uh, <laughs> relatively faithful for the next couple of years until I moved out of home, and then um, and then really struggled to maintain a really sort of committed approach to living out my Catholic faith, as I think most, if not a lot of young people, even to this day, struggle with because we actually don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and. That happened to me mm. in a way that I call holy seduction. And that is because a young lady... <laughs> I want to add Batman onto the end of that. <laughs> holy seduction, Batman. <laughs> a young lady that I was interested in uh, invited me along to a camp and I thought, you little ripper, seven days with this lady. Oh, my life is set only to find out that I was going along to something called a pastoral training school, which now these days is better known as a summer school of evangelization. Mm. And uh, she took me along to this pastoral training school and um, I realized I wasn't gonna get an awful lot of time with this young lady, and, uh, but I would spend an awful lot of time with other young people who are really on fire for God and had an authentic way about living life that really attracted me. But I honestly, guys, I have to say that I got halfway through this pastoral training school and I'd packed my bags and I was ready to go because it was too confronting for me. You know, like, mm. I don't know if that's something that others have experienced, but I know that 
I was confronted by the fact that if I was to live out what I was seeing here on this, on this camp, it would mean having to radically change my life. And I was a football-loving, music-loving, girl-loving young man who didn't really want to con conform to what I thought the church was really all about. And so I'd pack my bags and I was ready to go until a, a certain gentleman whose name I'll never forget, who stood in front of me. He was the size of a brick house. And um, I'm, imagining it was, I'm imagining it was John Pridmore, but maybe not. Well, actually, probably very close to John, John Pridmore. But um, he stood in front of my Suzuki Sierra four-wheel drive, white with a blue stripe, soft top, <laughs> and uh, stopped me from going anywhere. And uh, I said to him, you know, you've got to get out of the way. And he said, Mario, I just really need you, if you could, just to stick it out, you know. And I said, look, I just, I just can't see that this is for me. And uh, he said, give it 24 hours. And if at the end of, you know, tomorrow, and uh, you want to shoot through, then you go. And I But otherwise, I'm going to stand in front of this car all day till this time tomorrow. <laughs> all day. And his name's Gray Hutchins, and I'll never forget him. Um, because if he hadn't have said that, I actually would have gone home, and I would have just returned to my ordinary life. But Gray, I, he's a security guard. He is. How do you know this, Marty? Well, he, That's right. He was in he was in Kuma's wedding party with me a long Correct. time ago. <laughs> he was the guy from Perth. <laughs> hey, are we about to find out you two cousins? <laughs> if, you go, if you go back far enough. And um so so Gray, so he did. He he had this incredible momentous sort of impact on my life because I stuck it out for 24 hours. And in those 24 hours, God whacked me. Like he just, not only was I influenced and amazed by the, the young people that were present on the camp, but, but God just whacked me. Like he, he did it through two things. Like he did it through the Sacrament of Reconciliation, which I hadn't been to for a number of years. And there was a famous priest here in Perth named Father Tom Phelan. Mm. who was a parish priest of City Beach Parish, who Never led the me guy, through... But I've seen so many photographs and heard so many stories of him. Oh, gosh, talk about a saint. And he, he led me through an authentic experience of the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And he opened my heart to seeing that God's Spirit actually wanted to activate within me something that I couldn't dream for myself, you know? And, um, mm. and so he really softened my heart and, and I think tilled the soil for what would happen that night when the pastoral training school has, has a night in it which brings about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I was baptised in the Holy Spirit on that night and that's why I really thank Gray for asking me to stick it out. And I was whacked with the power of the Holy Spirit that night as, as people prayed with and for each other for an outpouring of God's spirit. And it changed my life, it really did. So holy seduction played out in, in, <laughs> in a way that I think, you know, uh, God got lured me there through what I call the attraction of the skirt. And, um, <laughs> and I left there realizing that there was nothing better than actually following the promptings of God and being drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ where he, his grace 
his forgiveness, his mercy, but also his invitation to walking in his steps just changed my life forever. And uh, I've never looked back since. So I thank Gray and I thank that young lady who invited me along to that pastoral training school, who I'm still really good friends with. She's married to another guy and I'm married to another girl, but uh, she will also always hold a really special place in, in my life. And, uh, and you know, the, the most amazing thing about all of that is that her daughter and my son actually now operate a parish youth group together as qualified youth ministers. <laughs> and, and I look at it and I just go, isn't that God? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Couldn't so, un- you couldn't you couldn't we couldn't plan it ourselves. No, you couldn't. Really interesting no. when you talk about the um the prayer for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you know, the culmination of that story, it just reminds me when you ask, you know, when you ask God to come and do something and then expect him to do something. And so many people I, you know, including myself and people you talk to, you know, there's that change from really not asking God for anything to actually having the confidence to do that and then bang he shows you how really is yeah and i think it's even more than that marty it's, it's the fact that i think what father Phelan did for me in reconciliation was he got rid of the crap mm. right like through through that sacrament of reconciliation he just he opened a doorway and it was the right time at the you know in the right place and he knew that this was going to happen he knew that i had a whole lot of junk inside of me that just would block the gift of the spirit and had blocked the gift of the spirit you know mm. you know particularly you know in my teenage years and my young adulthood you know like i'm not proud of, of that period of time in my life i'm glad i had it because i can look back and see what i was like without god's spirit you know, I was a path of destruction. Do you know, anybody who come near me, they'd only get from me what I wanted from them. Mm. But what Father Phelan did in getting rid of that junk was that not only then could that prayer of wanting God be authentic, but the gift of the Spirit could actually find a home in my heart because there was no junk there. Do you know, well, probably still is junk. There, you know, lots of junk. But <laughs> I imagine there's a lot more compassion oh, towards the, the teenagers you're working with. <laughs> yes, that's right. So it's and, like um, garage. I'm just thinking of my garage, which is full of chock a block of full of junk, and it's not mine. But yeah. um, <laughs> if I could clear enough of that junk out that I could get into it then I could turn it into something beautiful. And you could get a lot more done, actually, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, one, I'm just going to interject here for one second. Marty, the last time I was over in Perth, you and I did a big clean-up of that garage and it was all neat and everything in its place. What's happened? Life, life has happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a regular clean-out. Right, so Mario, how many years was it from that confession with Father Phelan through to actually beginning Australia's first Catholic accredited Bible college? How many years in between? Yeah, good question. So I had that experience in January of 1995. I was a Catholic school teacher, and I'll I'll say that because I think it's important to know that as a Catholic school teacher, I wasn't really authentic because at the time, you know, I was a Catholic school teacher teaching in primary schools, and for the first seven years... I knew it! (laughs) (laughs) What did you know? <laughs> I went to Catholic schools. 
So I was one of those teachers. No, no, I shouldn't say that. But I was actually, I actually didn't know the reality of the vocation that I'd stepped into as a, you know, 20 year old teaching my first year two class in a little Catholic primary school in the eastern suburbs of Perth. I actually had no idea of the real vocational call that I was trying to live out. And that was because I was doing it all in my own strength. I wasn't even really going to Mass every weekend. So I certainly didn't have sacramental graces coming my way. And it would be seven years later that I'd experienced that, that incredible, beautiful gift of the baptism in, in the Spirit. And that changed my whole outlook on life. I actually tried to go back and play, continue playing footy. And I just, I couldn't reconcile the the culture and the life of playing fairly high level footy i wasn't playing you know west australian football league level but certainly playing amateurs and just that culture everything about it when i got back from that that camp i just it was too jolting the juxtaposition of those two lifestyles i just couldn't do and i gave that away to my father's dismay because he, he was heavily involved in you know all that we were doing in our sporting lives and then I really focused on trying to listen to Jesus and, and hear him and try and be about the work that he wanted me to do. And the most incredible thing happened. My teaching career just took off, right? I just, I went from being a classroom teacher to within 18 months being a deputy principal, you know, at a Catholic primary school and then going and being a an acting principal for a period of time. But I think what people saw in me was that I actually loved Jesus and that I had a real heart's desire to share not just the gospel, but the person Jesus to, to the kids in my classroom. And, um, and I sort of did that for a number of years and was seconded to helping start a, a Catholic college, a Catholic secondary college. Uh, through the, the Catholic education system here um, in the northernmost part of Perth. And that meant that I'd moved from primary school up into the high school arena. And for the next five years, I was working at Irene McCormack Catholic College. And one of the things that really struck me was as much as I wanted to, to share the gospel, I actually had to share my life with those students to try and draw them into active participation in the life of the church. And the only way to do that was to try and start up a youth group, you know, in a parish that didn't even have a church. We were running mass out of the, the local primary school's hall and to try and get the, the students themselves to try and run this youth group. And I got really frustrated one day, guys, when um, the local Pentecostal youth group pastors, because they, they're, they're full-time pastors, they, they would come into our Catholic college's car park at the end of the school day and they'd hand out free chalk milk to all the kids and we didn't have many kids in those days in, in that school so you know up at this point probably had 300 kids when we started with 30 kids in this new Catholic high school and over those four or five years we were working really hard to sacramentalize these kids because they'd never seen the inside of a church apart from a school hall that had chairs in it and an altar at the front of it and these Pentecostal youth group pastors would hand out these chalk milks and invite kids to go to their, their youth group. And within 12 months, they had 75% of our kids going to their Pentecostal youth group. And they had this youth group running in the, in the local suburb of Joondalup with 300 plus kids at their youth group. 
And it broke my heart one day when, you know, one of these kids came back and said, Mr. Borg, I got baptised over the weekend. And I said, oh, um, what do you mean you got baptised over the weekend? You're, you were baptised when you were a child. You're already baptised. You didn't get baptised again. No, you didn't. Yeah, correct. Right. And they'd been, you know, they'd entered into a commitment ceremony down in the ocean for their Pentecostal church. And so it broke my heart that this was happening, that kids just didn't understand the sacramental nature of their, of their baptism, let alone the fact that we'd been, you know, confirming these, these young people and sacramentalising them. And they just didn't understand it. They didn't have a grasp for it. And it was because I couldn't spend weekends working with these young people in, um, in real youth ministry. Because, you know, when I spoke earlier about accompaniment, that's what it needs. It needs for people to actually walk alongside mm. teenagers to say, hey, what's Jesus saying to you? Do you know, like, mm. what's his hopes and his dreams for you and all that sort of stuff? And how can we build the church? And I remember calling the archbishop at the time, beautiful man is still is emeritus archbishop here in Perth at the moment and saying to him your grace you know what are we going to do about this you've asked us to you know to start this catholic high school and we're losing a lot of our students here to the local pentecostal youth group which on one hand is doing a great job because they're introducing and they're engaging these these students but that's a, a poor reflection on the job that you're doing at the school. Yeah, you know, like they're, they're introducing them to Jesus and they're equipping them to, to walk a life with Jesus, but they're actually doing it outside of the Catholic Church. So on the one hand, that's what you want for young people. But on the other hand, we want them to experience that in our, in our Catholic mission and life. Mm. I've, I've often know? thought, Mario, that we aren't particularly good within the Catholic Church of actually having necessarily goals that we can, after one year, two years, five years, actually say, have we done it or not? Oh, gosh. As in, you, know, you could just Sam, go, no. we're doing something, yeah. but what's it achieving? How much time do you need with these students in the, in the school? Oh. And what, what outcome do you want? Look, Sam, the anointed and sent framework that the Catholic bishops wrote soon after World Youth Day which is supposed to be at the heart of every organisation that deals with young people, right? The anointed and sent framework. It has three goals. And those three goals are fundamental to what we should be trying to achieve. The first goal is that we, have, we should be catering for the total personal and spiritual well-being of a young person, right? Nobody could argue with that. We'd say, absolutely, let's do that. That includes education and includes their mental well-being, but it also includes their spiritual well-being. The mm. second goal is fascinating. It's that we should be making responsible and active participants of these young people in the life of the church. My gosh, Young people need to take their place in the church. That means they have to be given responsibilities and they have to be encouraged to be actively engaged in the Catholic experience of living out faith. Now, that, How that's, many re that's, that's really Ma interesting. Marty, Marty, most parishes, <laughs> yeah, most parishes the only thing you can do to sort of approach that is could we make you a special minister or could you read at mass, which is generally not really appropriate because there isn't any other outlets, because there is no other activity going on. 
for, for a young person to be actively engaged in the mission of the church, right? Mm. I totally agree with you, right? The third goal that this document says is that we should be working towards making disciples of Jesus Christ who are able to live this way in the context of the modern world, mm. right? But how can you be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you don't have a prayer life, mm. if you don't have to rely on him in the work that you're doing within the life of the Catholic Church. I mean, I wake up every day and I think I have 28 youth ministers that I have a responsibility for, and I know I've got to look after their total personal and spiritual well-being. I have a responsibility to help them see that they've got to draw young people into an active participation in the life of the church, but not just an active participation, but to take on responsibilities, right? I have to fall to my knees every day because that's too big for my head and it's too big for my heart. Mm. I need God to do this and I need Jesus to pull me through. And young people need that same big picture mission that they can take part in in you know while they're teenagers while they're in, while they're actively involved in our catholic schools or while they're you know participating in leadership opportunities so it just drives me insane that that, that call um, to follow christ is something that is audacious and it is going to cost you significantly but there's also a desire for that not not for it just to be jesus did this therefore you yes, can just, we should just you know, follow his way. I'd say nice. if you um if you know if you're ever wondering you know if you think maybe I think I probably sort of know Jesus, then you don't. <laughs> yeah, you either encounter him and he changes your life. Yeah. Or you've heard about him and you're a fan of his sitting in the grandstand going, great, good on you, you guys, doing a great job. Or actually, you know, oh, who, who, who wants to be a part of that church? Look at all the mistakes that they do. Mm. Jesus isn't asking us to be fans. He's asking us to be followers. He yeah. wants us to get our feet dirty and our hands dirty. He wants us to be on the ground playing the game that requires of us to get bloody, to get sweaty, to get, you know, to get battered and bruised. And young people want that. Can I tell you this? Mm. Young people want that, but they need to be invited to encounter Jesus Christ and then to see a pathway where they can actually play and a really responsible and active participation in the life of the church to create stuff. And all of our youth groups are led you know, by the youngest youth minister, and th these people have to be qualified, right, to, to be a youth minister. The youngest youth minister we have is 17 years old, and the oldest that we have is 25. Mm. And uh, these are young people who are creating faith communities, trying to draw teenagers into the life of the church. But it didn't happen by accident. So it just so happened that at the end of my four or five years at Ira McCormack, there was a group of people in the Disciples of Jesus community here in Perth who had had a conversation with Archbishop Hickey, and I'm wondering whether, you know, this was part of this whole, whole encounter that I'd maybe relayed with his grace, and he really wanted us to start a Catholic Bible college. He, he put that call on the hearts of some of the, of the members of the community here so you, to start a Catholic Bible college. You're saying you, you, you were just being obedient to the hierarchy. <laughs> well done. Mario, Mario, can I ask you, why do you think that, Archbishop Hickey actually wanted a Bible college founded by the community. 
the disciples of Jesus community? Without putting words in his mouth, it's very unusual. Yeah, it's very unusual that you would get that, right? But I remember one conversation with him and part of why he wanted this was because he wanted people trained, particularly young people. He wanted people trained and formed to be about the mission of the church in a way that we weren't seeing in the life of the church in our diocese. He couldn't see it, right? And he asked our community if we would, you know, pray about that and engage that. And, and, and I have to take my hat off to the senior leader of the community at the time, and it still is, Reg Firth, who actually took that call, that invitation on, and made it a reality. Like, it takes audacious people to do something that you don't know how to do. Mm. Has, Reg, and, has Reg ever backed down on something he's been called to do? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, like, and, and Reg said, well, right, let's start a, a, co a Bible college. And I remember being in this first meeting of, of people, there were teachers there and, you know, others who'd had various experience in the life of the church. And they said, Reg, do you know what it actually means to start a, a Bible college? And he said, nah, but we're going to do it. Good on him. You know, and, and people then, you know, within six months, we put together what we thought was a good formation course for young people who might be trained up to do ministry. And, and I wasn't even really a, very much a part of that. But these, these three young people just jumped on board at this opportunity to take a year to be trained to do ministry. Now, that was in 2005. In 2006, I left teaching, came into came into full-time ministry, which I'm very grateful for, that the disciples were actually able to employ me to go into full-time ministry. And I thought I'd have a bit of a hand in the life of the college, but it was more than a hand because my wife heard this call. She was a, the commercial manager of Fisheries Western Australia, right? And we'd had our second child and a, a few years earlier, and she just lost the heart for working in industry, you know, and in mm. commercialisation and all that sort of stuff. She laid down her and nets. Reg, yep. <laughs> and Reg laid an offer to her. And this is what I mean about somebody actually inviting you to see a big picture. Reg invited her to be the principal of this Catholic Bible college. And, and she laughed at him and said, Reg, I'm an administrator. I'm not a teacher. And she never taught a day in her life, right? And Reg said, that's what we need. We need an administrator. And Jane left her role in fisheries Western Australia and voluntarily jumped at this opportunity to be at the forefront of establishing Australia's first and only fully qualified, you know, fully registered, nationally registered and accredited Catholic Bible College. And she got the first TAFE equivalent course all written up within 12 months. And that was a Cert four course in Christian ministry. We did a lot of research. Like we, we looked at how the Pentecostals do their Bible college and all that sort of stuff. And, and we're really greatly supported by our brothers and sisters in the other denominations of you know, the Christian church. And that began this journey of creating this Bible college, which is now, where are we? 2020, 14 years later, has had in excess of, you know, 150 graduates to it and young people who've gone off and done all sorts of things in the life of the church. So I found myself heavily involved in that latter part of the, the you know, first decade of 2000s 
But then an opportunity came to, we'd already had a youth group that was running called 24-7. And that was through, I don't know, I think you guys know Steve Proud. Right? <laughs> and um, so Steve Proud's wife, That's Megan, a yes. Yes, right? <laughs> Steve Proud's wife, Megan, who wasn't married to him at the time, actually started the, the youth group 24-7. And when was that, 2003? And up until 2011, it was still one youth group operating. It was a large youth group every Friday night. 70 kids or so would come to that youth group, 70 teenagers. Um, Steve would take over from Megan after a couple of years. And then we then had our... And, and because of Megan's experience, actually, of starting 24-7, she actually went to a, to a Pentecostal Bible college to get a certificate for in youth work so that she was ably equipped to do that. And it taught me a lot about, you know, if we're, going to, if we're going to ask people to do ministry or mission, what's our investment in that? Are we prepared to really equip and train people up and help them see the, the necessity to actually get the skills and the, you know, I, I like to say the qualifications too, because I think sometimes we undersell what it means to, be, to have a duty of care for young people. And in, in the life of the church that's suffered so badly because of the scandals of our past, particularly around, you know, abuse of young people, we should be doing absolutely everything we can to say this is serious business. You know, when we're working with young people, both young adults and teenagers, if you're not in it to, to make a, a powerful difference, and that means sacrifice of you know, studying and preparing, just like St. Paul did, you know, before he was set forth to, to go on mission. You know, tradition tells us that St. Paul had to train for three years in what it meant to be a Christian mm. before he was let loose, right? Mm. And then became the greatest missionary of all time. So the Bible College really then fed into youth ministers taking over from that youth group that Megan started and Steve took the next three years to, to lead that youth group. And then in 2011, when I was asked to, to take over 24-7, um, I actually said, I'm not running a youth group, but I will manage youth ministers. You know, like I really had a heart that I was getting too old to run a youth group. You know, like kids wanted young people to not lead them. We're not going to disagree not, with you there. Oh, man. Yeah, thanks, Marty, right? <laughs> and, um, and as it turned out, you know, parishes started approaching us because they were hearing about not only the youth group 24-7, but they started approaching us about the, the calibre of the young people um, that we were producing out of the Catholic Bible College. And we said to them, look, we took a risk in 2003 in employing Megan Proud to run 24-7 youth group. So if we're going to make this happen in parish life, we're going to take that risk and we're going to say to parishes, yeah, we'll come and help you, but you've got to pay us because we're going to, we're going to employ young people to be your youth ministers. Best investment yeah. any parish could make, seriously. Oh, absolutely. What, what else, you know, what else is going on? <laughs> yeah. but, but can I tell you, Marty, we learned a lot from that first year of having a parish employ a youth minister because we let the parish employ them and manage them. And it was a disaster. So that, that first person that we sent into the... I'll just say, my experience of both working in some pretty good and some pretty bad businesses and being associated with parishes is I haven't come across a parish that's administered, that is, is administered very slickly. That's, that's just my experience. 
Well, I can't necessarily comment on that, but what I can comment on <laughs> is that the management and the, um, and the care of the youth minister who we placed into this parish, the first parish that wanted us to do this, ended up in a disastrous form where that young person was burnt out and within three months hadn't got paid a single cent and left the church. And I mean not left Ooh. the parish, I mean left the church because yeah. of their way that they'd been treated. And we learned a lot from that and then decided that there was no way we were going to throw another young person into a similar situation and that we would then take on the model of managing and looking after the whole process of a youth minister going into parish life, running a youth group. And that's, that's what then you know, created 24-7 Youth Ministry. And we've been learning a lot along the way about what it means to be a sustainable youth ministry. Just in the last seven years, you know, we've had 16 parishes who've asked us to come on and we've sort of formed youth groups in, in a variety of different ways, but we're, you know, mostly they're weekly youth groups. All of them are teenage based, year six to year 12. So, you know, from 12 to 18 years old. We just run one program for the whole crew, year six to year 12. So we've learned a lot about how do we keep the older students in that youth group? Uh, because you, we know that young kids want to go, but how do we keep the older ones so that the older ones aren't saying this is too young for me? And it's really helped us develop a, a really clear and strong leadership pathway for year 10 to year 12 students. The way that we treat them and the way that we identify them, you know, we give them a uniform and, uh, and they're, they're pretty, they're pretty um, what's the word, motivated to help run these youth groups under the, the supervision of their youth ministers. And then we've learnt that we need, you know, over 18s to, for two reasons. One is often we'd get them graduating out of our youth group at year 12 and then having nowhere to go in the parish mm -hmm. life. Um, so we, we looked at that and then realised in reality that we needed, you know, we'd form these young people so they would actually become good mentors for student leaders for the year 10 to year 12s. And so now we've got a package that allows us to have a leadership structure that, that has 18s to maybe 18 to 22, 23 year olds who are a vital part of our leadership team who support our youth ministers. And then we have this incredible band of student leaders, year 10 to year 12, who are just so excited about being in ministry. They're so excited that we actually have to hold them back sometimes, you know, because they think <laughs> they're youth you know. So we, but um, but they they're just fired up for for ministry, and it, it's really helped us see that you need a holistic approach to youth ministry to make it truly sustainable. Mm. And so I don't know if that's probably complicated the question that you asked, but that's how. I can't even remember what the question <laughs> was, but the answer was awesome. <laughs> the question was how long did it take to uh, to build up <laughs> ministry. From that time of being converted, I call it my, my initial conversion, really, yeah. to uh, getting heavily involved in youth ministry in this way. So, Well, your answer actually went well beyond the, the question itself because I was, I was merely going to pinpoint those, uh, the quiet years in between, but you just took it right through. To, <laughs> you just kept running with it, which is great. Thank you. The hidden, the hidden years, that's what they call it, isn't it? The hidden yes. years, that's right. <laughs> uh, Mario, uh, I, I can imagine, even though obviously heavily involved with the Bible College and 
the students themselves are learning. I would assume that you are also learning as you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there something in particular that you are sinking your teeth into at the moment or something that recently has hit you between the eyes or motivated you or, conf- oh. or you found confronting? I have a lifelong vision that we would be able to create an incredible bridge between Catholic school life, and I mean college life, right, and parish life. I just think that that's what God's really called us to do. Like he's really calling us to make a difference in that whole arena between where we have, I don't know, Gosh, how many kids go to our Catholic schools in Western Australia, Marty? Any idea? Um, We're looking at 20 to 40,000 kids. Lots, right? And you go to our Catholic parishes where... (laughs) How many kids go to Catholic parishes? Not many. Yeah, exactly. Where there's not a youth ministry presence, how many kids are going to Mass? Mm. right? Or uh, feel like that parish is their home, spiritual home. Mm. right? Very few. And... Um, and Mario, we have a big part to play. Yeah. Just quickly, because we've got, we actually have a, quite a few listeners who aren't Australian. Uh, we've got quite a few over in the United States. Uh, we've got some in Brazil. There's even some, there's a few in England and Ireland. There's one person, we don't know who this is. There's someone in the Ukraine <laughs> who downloads the podcast every week. So whoever you are, wow. hi, thanks for listening. But I just want to, particularly for those over in the United States, because I think the the system they have is quite different to what we have. So just to establish this, most of our Catholic primary schools are run very much adjacent with a parish. Is that the same in Western Australia? Yep. Yep. Yes, and then, very much but so. the, the high schools tend to be quite separated. Yeah. So parish. you might have one Catholic high school for, say, maybe up to six or seven parishes. And it could be more, it could be less, right? So they're, they're situated somewhere in between that. And I think the other distinct difference for your American listeners is that generally speaking, Catholic schools in America are funded by parishes, right? Here in Australia, Catholic schools, both secondary colleges and primary schools are funded in a lot by the government here. So we get a lot of money from the government that aids us in being able to run a huge part of the education system in in the Australian system is independent schools and the Catholic school system is a major player in the independent non-government school system. Catholic schools must be, what, 20 or 30% of the total school oh, system? Easily, like, easily. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, it might even be higher, somewhere maybe even higher than that, up to yeah. 30 or 40%. Right? Yeah. So the we norms. have a lot of kids. A lot of kids who are part of the Catholic landscape because they, they're going to Catholic schools. We have so few. Some of the latest research is, so, is showing that when kids leave our Catholic schools, less than 3% of them are actually engaged in parish life. Right? Mm. And, and I take responsibility for that. Do you know, like, I, I don't take whole responsibility. For, but for the 3% or for the 97%? Which one are you? Taking <laughs> <laughs> responsibility for the fact that we don't have a lot of kids going, get, getting re-engaged in parish life. Because, you know, uh, I am the church. Do you know, the church mm. isn't a building and it's not, it's, not, it's not somebody who sits in an office somewhere. I am the church. The church is made up of flesh and blood, right? So I take responsibility as a member of the church 
for a, a, a gap where we've got this huge net of young people who are in the Catholic sphere, but I'm not doing enough to bring those kids into responsible and active participation in the life of the church. So I want to play a part in that, and that's why... Um, so I had this dream that we build this bridge so that Catholic schools are seen as a vital tool and ingredient for feeding parish life. Yeah. That our kids would see that they go to mass over the weekend because they need the sacramental grace because they're building faith communities in their youth groups. Hmm. And they've got an integral part to play in that. So they need Jesus. They need the sacramental graces for him to lead them in building faith communities as part of their parish context, you know? So um, that's my dream. It, it, it's a dream that I think for as long as I'll, I'll be in youth ministry, and I don't know how much longer I'll do that for, but that, that will happen. And I know that we need to do some research in this. It's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest things for me, Sam, and, and I know that, Sam, you've been involved in youth ministry for a long time, right? There is just not enough research that is done within the Catholic education system and youth ministry and church experience that can inform and uh, lead us in making wise decisions about what is effective youth ministry. There just isn't. So, you know, I, I, I want to start now working with our, our Catholic university here in, in Western Australia, Notre Dame Uni, in looking at a research project that looks at, you know, we've got one model of youth ministry. It's just one, right? I don't know how that looks in the bigger scheme of, you know, models for youth ministry worldwide, but I know that here in Australia, it's unique. Mm. But we need to get some valid information behind that. We need to be serious about what the flaws and the strengths are in this model. What are the gaps that we need to look at? Um, and how do we engage key stakeholders in a greater way? So how do we engage the Catholic school system in the sort of work that we're doing? You know, we're playing around with offering some certain programs, two and three programs with year 11 and 12 students. And some, some young people have really grasped a hold of that. But we've got a handful of those kids who, who come along to the Bible College on a you know, Thursday or a Friday, taking you know, like a one day out of their school life to do that. But in reality, the church needs hundreds of these kids mm. who are trained and equipped and qualified to build faith communities in their Catholic context. So we need good information to be able to do that and to validate and to learn from good research on it. So that's, that's I'm actually starting that next week, you know, looking at Ooh, how can we... I, can I throw something in the mix for you, Mario? Because yeah, I, I have it, actually, in, in my own musing, I have actually written uh, quite a bit the answers. In, trying to, in trying to process it. No, no, I, it's something I want to throw in there that I, I'd love to see... That, so a lot of what you mentioned, but there's, there's one extra thing, which was I'd love to see a, a questionnaire that year sevens filled out and then they filled out the exact same questionnaire when they left in year 12. And you could actually track, it, it, obviously it's a bit of a longitudinal study, but you can actually see where the discrepancies are, where the, where the strengths were, what worked and what didn't. Or at least then you can yeah. start to you know, look at what the remedies might be. <laughs> And Sam, I'd, I'd just add to that, I think 
for us to have true data, right, one is that we need those kids to be in our Catholic schools, right, so for that period of time, which we've got to really pray that that actually happens because we need that longitudinal study. But the second thing is that we need to have youth ministries that last long enough to be able to have kids from year seven to year 12, right? My experience is that youth groups may start in parish life, but the lifetime of that youth group is completely reliant on the leader of that youth group. And if they're not getting paid and if they're not being trained and they're not being pastored and mentored and managed, that leader lasts, on average, 18 months. What happens when that leader leaves that youth group? The youth group falls apart. Now, you tell me if that's not the experience of a lot of parishes in the history of Australian youth ministry. Right? Well, I thought you were actually being actually pretty humble. Create you are, yeah, absolutely. I thought you were, you were being pretty humble when you were saying that, you know, 24-7 is just just another youth group in the mix. You know, it's just something else. I, thought, yeah, I think it's a little bit further down the track than that. I think, yeah, I think that my, from what I can see, it's, it's having a quite a massive impact. Well, it's one of the key factors of our youth groups, right, is that when we start in a parish, we say to them, we will be there for as long as you want us to be there. And that's why we only sign 12-month contracts. We don't believe in 12-month youth groups, but we believe that a parish has the right to be able to say to us, we don't want you here anymore. But where we've signed contracts with parishes, we have maintained that youth group for years to come. We've never started a youth group and ended it, right? Where we've started a youth group, it has maintained. Our longest running youth group, which is the one that Megan Proud started before she was married to to Steve Proud, Megan Belcher, that started in 2003. It is still running every Friday night in 2020, 17 or 18 years later. As far as I can tell, it's the longest running Catholic youth group for teenagers anywhere in Australia. And it'll be on again tonight. It's a Friday. It's Friday. So it's happening tonight. Come on and have a look. Uh, so wherever we've started in a parish, you know, a youth group, we are still there. The longest running parish youth group is now, we started that youth group in 2009 as an experiment, 2010, I think, 2010, after World Youth Day. The parish said, we've sent kids to World Youth Day. We want you to, to run a youth group, Marianne. I said, well, look, actually, before we run that youth group, we want you to train a young person from your parish to come to Bible college, pay for them to do that. And we will guarantee you that you'll have a youth group running for the next 10 years. And we have been true to that word. That was in 2010. That youth group runs every Sunday night in a parish um, ever since 2010. And that's been the case for all of our youth groups. Where we start, we continue because we truly believe in a sustainable model of youth ministry. Because you can't do studies and you can't, you can't have anecdotal, let alone validated data, unless you produce long-term fruit. Mm. So, anyway, I'm pretty passionate about all this. I'm sorry, I probably raved on way too long about that. But- I think it's been awesome. Listening's good. Right. And Mario, I love that whilst you obviously do have a good youth group model, what certainly comes out from that is that what is happening there with yourself and Jane and Reg and Yanni, who I haven't mentioned, but 
Reg's wife, with Megan and Steve Proud, with all of those who are around you. And there, and there are significant, we could probably list off 50 people at this stage, maybe even more that are actually genuinely at, at the coalface there, that you've been really good at actually walking with people and helping those you meet to become really devout on fire Catholics who love Jesus and want to help one another, love one another and those they meet. So much more than simply we've got a good youth group model. Thanks, Sam. Look, for whatever part, you know, that I play in that, I just think that I keep going, referring back to those three goals that the Australian Catholic bishops have asked us to really focus on. And they're long-term goals. They're not for the time of a young person who goes to a youth group for a year or two, right? It's Mm. about creating lifelong ecclesial leaders in our church and young people can do that you know they can create leaders among themselves if they're mentored if they're if they're Mm. accompanied if they're trained and equipped and i like to say qualified right to do that because then they know this is serious stuff Mm. and jesus christ is worth all of that amen all right i've got a i've got a different question mario oh on a personal note what's your favorite devotion (laughs) Depends what you mean by devotion. I love the Fremantle Dockers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm heavily uh, devoted to them. And I should yeah. say I'm devoted to my wife. But anyway, but uh, spiritual devotion, I love praise and worship. Yep. Praise and worship for me is it touches every, every part of my being. It reduces me to tears. So praise and worship allows my whole being to be captivated. Mass for me is non-negotiable. I've been really blessed that in my local parish, they're just post-COVID, you know, they've started. And just before COVID hit, we were really blessed by our parish priest starting a 6 a.m. Mass. I just can't get to to Mass if it's during the day. Oh, daily, daily 6 a.m. Daily, you know, daily 6 a.m. Mass. And that's made the world of difference to me because I know that I'll walk each day with Christ physically, you know, alive in me, mm. um, renewed each day. Um, so Mass is just so powerful. And so corporate praise and worship and daily Mass, for me, are my favourite devotions, apart from the Fremantle Dockers. Do you know who they are, <laughs> don't you, Sam? Yeah, they're the, uh, uh, the, the, purple, the purple ones. The team down the bottom of the ladder somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we're very penitent. We are purple and we suffer a lot because we have very little success. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mario, uh, th- this morning I happened to read Colossians and it was either chapter two or three. And it was St. Paul commending to people to sing hymns, to sing psalms and to sing prayers of spiritual worship. And I wish I could remember the exact verse, but it is actually what I read this morning. So we'll finish with that. So for uh, a little bit of... It was here. He could tell us exactly... He could tell us what it was. So for uh, for our (laughs) listeners, there's our our prayer homework is uh, Colossians. We'll say chapter two and three. Colossians. All right. I'll go and do it. (laughs) Mario, while Marty looks that up, would you be happy to please close today's podcast in prayer? Love to. What a privilege. Gosh, thank you. So um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Lord, we just really want to thank you and praise you just for the opportunity to talk faith. 
It's a gift, Lord, that you give to us freely through the gift of your son, Jesus, who bestowed upon us the empowering gift of his spirit so that we would be of spiritual things. And Lord, we want to thank you just for, for initiatives and apostolates such as um, this podcast where Sam and, and Marty and Father Day just continue to speak of the spiritual things of this world. Lord, we pray your blessing upon it and upon these men and their, their families and, and for Father Dave, his, his ministry and his mission. Lord, and we pray too for the young people of the Australian church. Lord, that you would continue to pave the way for them to encounter you and encounter your spirit and that you would continue to lead us, Lord, in doing everything we can for this young church of yours. And I'd really like to call upon the intercession of Mary, our mother, who has a heart for all of us as her children, that you would bestow, Mary, your love for, upon our hearts for your children, the children who long to be in relationship with your son, Jesus. We make this prayer in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 The Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mario, I found it. And yes, over it. <laughs> it's Colossians 3.16. So a very famous combination there. Not John 3.16, yes. but Colossians 3.16. And it is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. What a great way to sum up our time together, hey? All I was going to say is your, your prayer was so much better than our usual prayers, Mario. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> we get you back in a special guest at the end of every episode. You can do the prayer. It's good. <laughs> oh, no worries. <laughs> Muzz, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, and for, for our listeners, if you would uh, like to check out what these guys are doing 24-7 you've got a it's added a web, website doesn't it yeah 247youthministry.org.au and acts to come is x2come.wa.edu.au right that's the bible college so you can check those out yeah mario thank you so much for your time marty thank you for your time thanks for organizing cool. this you're welcome sam <laughs>